Good morning, family. Everybody well this morning? It's great to be together. Isn't it nice to start feeling that spring is on the way? Or am I just being very optimistic this morning? I desperately want it to be spring. Just a couple of things that uh, just, uh, I also would just like to bring your, to your attention is um, just the ladies, please make sure you don't miss out on the 4th of August, that wonderful event. You'll see the flowers that are up already. That's in preparation for that Saturday morning. It's going to be a great, great time. So uh, make sure you get your tickets after the service and uh, be part of that day. On our recent uh, Getting to Know You Better survey, and we asked people just to give us a little bit of feedback on your experience with us, and, and we do that because we want to make sure that we together can hear the Lord and what He's busy saying to us as a community. And one of the things, and Pastor Jack did a great job the other day of just giving you that information that people said is um, that something that we can do better at is just in times of being on time a bit more. And uh, if we can, if when we start the service, we can actually have most of the people here. And um, I know Sunday, and, and I also like the idea for you that Sunday is a bit more of a relaxed day. And I don't want you to feel the pressure of, you know, just having to scramble the kids and everything. And, and I know that, and I would love it if you can have just a bit of a relaxed time. But that's why we start the service a bit later. But it does, unfortunately, cause a bit of disruption. For people, if, if latecomers are squeezing in and somebody's busy worshiping and they're experiencing the Lord and, and then somebody, excuse me, excuse me, and we have to squeeze in and, and it does disrupt things a little bit. And so we're never going to be nasty with you if you're late. We're never going to ask you why. We're not going to sit, seat you in the shameful section anywhere or do anything like that or give you special hats to wear. I'm a latecomer. I own it or anything like that. We, we want you to, when you come late, we want to, we're just going to be friendly with you. But I want to ask that you please just do every effort to be here at 9.30 when we start the service. It just helps for all of us that the experience is just so much more better. Can we, is that okay? Can we do that? So if somebody's squeezing past you in the row, don't be unkind to them. Just say, morning, it's great to see you, and carry on worshiping, okay? And then another thing we know sometimes in the service are uh, we have a little bit of noise in the service because of the kids that are with us, and, and sometimes it particularly comes from that wonderful section on that side that we call the family care area. And uh, I, I just want to say, you know, I take my hat off and, you know, big up for any parent that brings their little ones to church. So can we give them a round of applause and just say, well done, and we appreciate, and it's great to have you with us. And, and many of us have been parents, and we understand that children, you know, they're children. And sometimes they're going to make a noise, and sometimes they, it's going to be difficult for you, and we really want you to be as comfortable as possible, and that's why we've got the area for you, and we've got um, the, the area inside, and we've even got some of the Create Coffee Shop that we make available to our parents. So, so please come to church and you know, join it with us as much as you can, as your child allows you to. But from time to time, we have a child that just has a difficult day, and they, and they just want to let everybody know that they're not happy with life. And the way they do that is they use their God-given vocal cords. And they shout it out, and then unfortunately some of you go, I cannot hear because the child is screaming. And, and we understand that. We've, you know, many of us have been there. And I just want to say that we've got great volunteers in that area that are there to serve you. We've got a little pamphlet that we've put out about that area. And, and our heart is really for you to be comfortable. But can I ask as a parent, if you're seated in that area or anywhere in the church, if your child becomes difficult... We, we need you to do something about it, 
And uh, if you don't, then at some point a volunteer is going to come and with gentleness and with a big smile and with nice words, just put a hand on your shoulder and say, I think you need to do something. Can I help you in any way? That's not them telling you you're a bad parent. That's not them, you know, wanting to just insult you in any way. It's just them making you aware that it's becoming a little bit loud and others are needing you to do, and they'll offer you help. Can I encourage you from 18 months, we've got children's church for all the sizes. The toddler's area is just right outside there. If you want to take your child there, they'll have a great time and a great experience. Please do that. But if it's little ones, just let us help you. What did I say? That's now funny. Hey? Oh, okay. Baby, all ages and sizes. Um, but we don't differentiate on size, on age. So please, uh, you know, make use of the facilities we have and so that we can all have a great time together on a Sunday morning. Is that okay? So if a parent's child is crying, don't everybody stare at them. We've got people that will help them and, and just show them options and things that they can do. So that'll be great. We are really excited, and I'm particularly very excited uh, about today as we start with our new series, and the title of this series that we're going to be doing for the next couple of months, actually in, in a little bit of different format for the last term, but we're actually going to do this for the rest of this year, and the title of our series is Kingdom Living Up In and Out. And in this series, we, we want to talk about what is God's kingdom, and how do we live in it, and how do we share it with others. And uh, Many of the things we want to share is, is a lot based in who we are as a family. What Hatfield is, what God has called us to be. And for you that have been around, you may have heard some of the things we're sharing. But we, we really want to be at a place where as a family we are growing in our effectiveness of what it means to be a disciple and how we are helping others come into the, the kingdom of God. It's so great this last song we sang about the kingdom. And that song is a song that just speaks about who we are as a church and our vision and what we feel is important. And at the center of it all is the kingdom of God. So we're going to start our series and start today, and we're going to talk a little bit about the kingdom. And uh, the title of today's talk is The Extraordinary King. Because you want to talk about God's kingdom, you have to talk about God. Amen? Because it's His kingdom after all. And His kingdom is defined by who He is. And that's what we want to do today. And I really don't want to talk to you on a mental level and give you instruction and give you definition about the kingdom as much as, as I would like to Hopefully, by the power of the Holy Spirit, arrest your attention for the kingdom and grab hold of your imagination for the kingdom. So in a sense, this morning, I want to speak to your heart more than what I speak to your head. And therefore, I've tried to find ways that our hearts can open up to the great message of the kingdom. And one of the ways that I thought to do that is to use an analogy that the Bible also uses, and it's the analogy of adoption. And, uh, you know, adoption is a sensitive thing. And in this crowd, there would be people that would have had many different experiences with adoption. Perhaps you adopted a child, or perhaps you have been adopted. Perhaps you wanted to give your parents up for adoption. You know, <laughs> perhaps you, adoption has been a wonderful experience in your life. Perhaps it has that difficulties, and, and I understand all of those things. But it's so beautiful that the Bible uses adoption to in some way explain to us how we have come into the kingdom of God and how we are living in the kingdom of God. So to open our hearts to this, and I've found a little video clip, and I particularly want to use teenage adoption, adopting a teenager as an example this morning, because they're probably the most difficult people you could think of adopting. 
And uh, I've got a little video clip that's a bunch of teenagers that are telling you reasons why you should adopt a teenager. Now, I'm not necessarily promoting, if the Lord speaks to you, great, but this is not about promoting adopting teenagers. This, you'll see where I'm going with this just now. But if we can play that video clip, and it's just a fun way that these kids are giving you great ideas of what it means to have a teenager. And if you haven't got one, adopt one, and you'll have fun with them because of these reasons. So uh, that we're going to show you that little video clip quickly. I trust the sound is clear enough that you can hear what they're saying. Thanks, guys. The story of adoption is the story of every one of us. We just want to be part of a family. We just want to have a place where we belong and a place where we can live life the way it was supposed to be lived. And the Bible uses that idea to explain to us how God feels about us and how, what He's done in our lives. Now, there's a story that I want to share with you as a little bit of a parable, perhaps, of the journey into the Lord's kingdom. And it's a story of a real family, the Morland family who decided at some point that they felt stirred by the Lord, and this is a real story, you can go online and watch it on YouTube, that they felt stirred that they should look at possibly adopting. They already had three children at that stage, of which two was a twin boys. One was quite ill. He actually needed a, a kidney transplant later in his life. Um, but they felt, just for various reasons, that God was busy speaking to them that they should be open towards adopting. This uh, first Karen, the, the wife, she felt at first and, and started speaking to Ron, the husband, and eventually he was resistant to it because he'd, he'd experienced and seen some of the, 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 the things that are not so easy, perhaps, about adoption and the process. And, and, uh, but it, they prayed through it, and eventually, by reading some books, they, they came to an agreement and they felt the Lord said they must 
look for a baby to adopt. So they, they put their names out and they went onto the list and they did all the tests and everything and finally they were proved that they could look for a, and be open to receive a baby for adoption. It became quite a difficult process for them because for almost a year they received no phone calls. Nobody contacted them. There were no babies that were offered for them. And uh, they really struggled through this. And uh, they started wondering, did they really hear God? Are they, are they not just perhaps stirred emotionally? Are they really trying to do what God has told them to do? And, and so, but they kept praying and kept feeling like this is what God wants for them. And, and one day they were contacted by an agency and that, that said, would you be open towards adopting a 12-year-old girl? And uh, this was a little bit of a curveball for them, and, and uh, you know, they, 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 they didn't know what to do with it. So the agency said to them, come, you can come and meet the girl, and once you've met her then, and interviewed her, you can then decide. But they immediately felt that that wasn't a good way to do it because they didn't want the girl to, to, for them to go and meet her and then decide and you know, cause feelings in her of what did she do wrong or inadequacy in any way. So, so they went and prayed about it as a family. And as a family, they felt the Lord said they must take her, they must bring her into their home. The, the younger kids were very excited about this fact that they were going to have an older sister, and uh, the family you know, thought through it all and, and, and eventually decided they were going to go and fetch this girl to bring, them, to bring her home with them. It is this, it's at this point where they met 12-year-old Lauren. Lauren was born to a mother that was a drug addict and an alcoholic, and in fact, the whole family that she was born into were all struggling with alcohol. She uh, eventually was taken by a grandmother to be stayed with her grandmother, but her grandmother raised her in the bars of the local area. Uh, eventually, her grandfather decided that's no place for a child, so the grandfather took her in, and uh, she stayed with him for a period of time. Uh, until he had a heart attack and she couldn't stay with him anymore. He wasn't well enough to look after her. She then went and stayed with friends, classmates of hers and, and stayed with the family for about a year and then they were going to move and she couldn't go with them any longer. She then started bouncing around from different friends' homes and just a couple of months here, a, a couple of weeks there, just stayed with different people and just you know, stayed in different people's homes. Eventually, she found her way back to her grandfather who took her in and she stayed with him for a period of time again. Uh, one day, however, she decided with some of her friends that they're going to take the car for a joyride. So they, they took the grandfather's car and at 12 years old, raced down the road and, you know, had great fun with the car. But unfortunately, the police pulled them over. It's at this point that she was taken into custody in a sense and the police realized that she's a person that doesn't really have anybody looking after her sufficiently, and uh, they then put her into the system, and that she would go in for possibility of foster care. Um, they took her, and before they could place her with a family or anywhere, they took her to what is a, a, a juvenile detention center, um, and uh, she had to stay there for a couple of days. This was really hard for her, because this was a tough environment, and the people were very tough, and it was a little bit like a prison in the, in the sense that your rooms were like cells. You couldn't come and go as you want out of your room. Somebody had to unlock the door for you, and when you came back in, they locked you in again. And uh, she felt really afraid and traumatized by this experience, and to the point where she really just stayed in her room for the time that she was there. At about uh, three days after she got there, uh, one of the workers came and called her and said to her, there's a family that wants to take you home with them. And uh, they took her, she, she took all of her belongings, threw it in a garbage bag, and off she went and she met the Morland family. And uh, so she proceeded to go home with them. And while they were very loving and very kind and very gracious to her and very warm and very excited to see her, she says this was the most difficult day of her life up until that point. 
going into a home and suddenly realizing that this is different than how you've ever lived your life before. She didn't know how to respond to them. She felt so strange by these people that were so happy to see her and so loving and so kind. So it was really difficult for her, she said, to be in that environment. But she stayed with them for a while and eventually she started warming up to them and started realizing that they're really a great family and they had lots of fun together. And uh, she started, started feeling like she you know, liked being there. But in her mind, this was just for a period of time and then she was going to go to somebody else for foster care. A couple of months into her staying there, the lawyers came to her and said, the family wants to adopt you. Um, would you be open to adoption? She, at that point, did not feel that she wanted to be adopted and uh, tried to find out how her mother's doing, but unfortunately, her mother was not in a good enough state that she could take her. She then found out about her grandfather. Her grandfather had, meanwhile, developed dementia, and he couldn't take her anymore. And so, so she realized she really doesn't have another option, and uh, so she accepted their offer to be adopted by the family. She said starting to live there as part of the family actually a daughter in that family was, was also hard for her because the family had structure. The family had expectations. She had to get up in certain times. She had chores that she had to do. She had to go to church with them on Sundays. And these were not things that she was used to. And uh, she found it hard because she'd always been able to do her own thing and be in charge of her own life. But now she had to learn what it means to be part of this family. Today, she's busy making her way to college. She's now older. And uh, she talks about how thankful she is to God for the journey of her life. How wonderful it has been for her to be part of this family, to have found a family, to have found a place where she belongs. And she's so deeply thankful to the family for taking her in, for making her part of their family. The Morelands also talk about what a great, amazing gift she has been to their family. How they see her as such a joy and such a privilege that uh, she, can, she can be with them. She's now, as I said, going to college, and she's probably the first person in her biological family to do so. And she talks about how her life has changed, and she's so thankful to God for that. I tell you that story because, in a sense, I think we all have a bit in common with that story. In a sense, that's every one of us is our story. We were created by God to be part of His family. But at some point... We decided we didn't want to be part of his family anymore. We rejected him. We said we're better off on our own. We will, we will go at this our own. We will figure out life, and, and we want to be our own boss. We want to be in charge of ourselves. And we said, I don't want to be part of your family. And then we went off, and we lived our own life in our own way, and we rejected God. But the Scripture says to us, in Romans 8, these well-known verses from verse 15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. At some point, God said, even though you left me, even though you didn't want to be part of my family anymore, I want you in my family. And he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus came and walked on the earth and to show us who God is. To show us who this amazing father is. Who this extraordinary king is. So that we would willingly choose to come back into his household. You see, because this is the way our father operates. He wants you to choose him. 
Even though he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he's the highest authority in the universe. He has the, the armies of the angels. He can, he can do whatever he wants. When it comes to you and me, he says, I will never force you. I will never overpower you other than with my love because I want you to choose my family. You have the right, but please come into my family. And Jesus came and lived not only to show us the, the Father's family and who the Father is, but to remove the obstacles that would keep us from going into His family and to finally show us how much He loves us. So that today, you and I, if we have come to faith in Christ, if we have accepted Christ's sacrifice, you can say, I am a child of God. I have been adopted by the King. Can you say that about yourself? Have you been adopted by the King? Are you a member of God's household with all the legal rights that, that, that comes with it? Are you sure about that, that you belong? You are no lesser a child of God. In fact, the Scripture says it carries on in Romans 8. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. In other words, in our sonship and daughtership, our belonging in the family, we are seen on the same level as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's no difference between us and him in our position, in how much we belong in this family. You are a member of God's household, Paul writes to the Ephesians. We belong in this family. We have been adopted. But I think it's so often the same for us as it was for Lauren, that when she got into that family, suddenly she realized, man, this is different. I need to change to fit into this family. Uh, there's expectations on me. I need to respond to this family. Uh, and she had to learn, for instance, to accept love. And just what does it mean to be loved and what is love? And she had to learn, how do I fit into this? How do I live up to, to be a person in this family? And how often do we have to learn what it means to live in God's family, to become a member of His family? We have to learn what it means to be loved by Him how much He loves us, and then how do we respond to that love? And how do we live coherently with that which He is and who He is? And that, I think, is what the kingdom and the Scripture talks about, discipleship. Discipleship is the process of not only becoming adopted into the family of God, but also learning to live within the family of God. And to be a member of the family of God. And how this family works. What are the rules of this family? Every one of us in our families, in our homes, we have certain things that we say, we don't do it that way. That's not how we do it. And so our kingdom family has the same thing. There's God, because of who God is, there's certain things that that is how you live in his house. In his house, we don't do it this way. Because of who he is. But his laws and his rules and his expectations are all set in love. They're not laws that are laws of, you know, just trying to make his life easier. He defines love for us. And he invites us into the home and he says, let me love you. And it's through his love that he teaches us how to live and how to respond. I mean, the scripture just before this, Romans 8, 14 says, it's by his kindness that he leads us to repentance. He wins our hearts with his great love, this amazing and extraordinary king. Right now, you and I are not only adopted and have the legal rights of a child in the king of kings' house, but we are also becoming every day more and more like him. And we are living as children in his home. 
Because our family that we've been adopted to, into, is not just a family. It's a little bit more than that. It's also a kingdom. In the scripture, it's most often described as a kingdom. Because our father is not just our father. He's also the king of the universe. Everything is for him, by him, and is about him. He is the the highest authority, the highest say in all of the universe is our Father. And we now live in His household. We're just not living in a nice house. We're living in a castle, in a palace. That's our home. We are citizens of that kingdom, family members of Father God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's a little like Moses. Another great adoption story, Moses. Remember Moses? Put on the water by his family to try and save his life. Found by the daughter of Pharaoh. Adopted into the house of Pharaoh. As Moses grew up, he did not only have to learn what it meant to be a part of their family. He also had to learn what it meant to be a prince. How to represent the kingdom of the Egyptians. And he was trained and educated in the schools of the Egyptians. So that when Moses talked, he talked not only as a son of Pharaoh or a grandson of Pharaoh or a member of that family. But he spoke as a representative of the royal family. And he was given tasks and expectations on his life. Because he had to help build the kingdom that he was part of. You and I have the same story. We are part of a kingdom. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a prince and a princess in the palace and in the family of the king of kings. Not just a son. And therefore we we need the spirit of God. We need to be in that place where we are learning consistently. How am I living to represent my father? Because this is also true about my father. His kingdom is busy growing and advancing. He's busy reclaiming the land that he lost. He built this earth to be his kingdom, but through our choice, we gave part of this kingdom away, and now through us, he's winning that back again. So he's in a, he's in a war. Our actions matter. We are soldiers in his kingdom. Not only are we members of his household, and not only are we part of the royal family, but we are also soldiers in his army, advancing the kingdom. But all of this is done in the character of who the king is. He is the king that loves. He builds his kingdom on love. One of the disciples that's been with Jesus, that walked closely with Jesus, that saw Jesus represent the Father, that saw the kingdom of God, writes to us, and he tries to help us in our journey as we have become adopted into the family, and we have a secure position. Our adoption is secure. You know, when you adopt a child and they become a legal part of your household, no matter what they do from that point, they are part of that household. They are in that family. You and I have been adopted through the blood of Christ. We are in the family. But now we learn how to respond. And one John, John writes for us and he tries to orientate us and he explains to us what life in our family is like, how we live in our family, how we live in this kingdom. He says this to us in 1 John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. The fundamental thing we need to know about our Father 
which sets him apart from any other father, which sets him apart from any other king, is that he is love. And everything he does is love. He's not firstly power. He's not firstly authority. Although he has all of those things to the supreme. He's not firstly knowledge. He's firstly God is love. And his kingdom is built on love. And his kingdom is a kingdom of love. When we say God is love, we mean God defines what love is. If you want to know what love is, you look at God. Everything he does, that is love. Everything he does not do, that is not love. God never takes an action because it's not love. Everything he does, everything he feels, everything he thinks, it comes from love. And this is true because God in himself is love. And this is one of the difficult things throughout the ages that we've struggled with as people. And I don't think we'll ever get to the proper knowledge of it. It's a bit of a mystery. It's the idea of the Trinity, of three persons in one. We have one God, but there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One of the people that through the ages wrestled with this was St. Augustine in the 5th century. Now, everything he said was spot on, but in this, I think he contributed something greatly to our thought. He was the one that came up with a model in this idea that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit co-equal with one another in a relationship that is defined by agape, love, love. What makes God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit one is the fact that they completely, unselfishly love and one another. The Father prefers the Son. The Son prefers the Spirit. The Spirit prefers the Father. Each of them serving the other completely with complete unselfish love, loving one another. If this was not true, if God was not a trinity that completely loved within himself, then we couldn't say God is love. We could only say God loves. God is a lover. God is one that gives love or God loves others. But because he loves within himself perfectly, we can say God is love. When God created you and me, he didn't create us because he had a need. Because if he created us out of a need, that meant that in some way there was a selfishness involved. He created us because he wanted to as an expression of his great love. We, we don't love God because he needs us to love him. We love him because he's impossible not to love him. Because he is love. It's just the only way, if you really get to know him, if you really see him, the only thing you can do is let down your guard, stretch out your arms and say, I want to love you. Because he is love. He's an extraordinary king. He's an extraordinary king. Sometimes in our world, and I think it's necessary for us to think about this a little bit, we think we know what love is because so many songs are written about love and so many poems and so many artworks and we so often talk about love and love is so central to our lives. But I think we've got to be careful that as believers we understand the difference between God is love and love is God. We live in a culture that actually says love is God. We proclaim God is love. We live in a culture that it loves love Loves the idea of love. That champions for love. That fights for love. Because we just want everything to be love. But when we do that and when we start saying in a sense, love is God. Love is the highest value. Love is the chief thing that you must seek for. And we start saying whenever you see love, that's when you see God. The problem is when we do that, then love starts defining God. And then God has to live up to our expectations. We start saying, we know what love is, God, and if you're not doing it this way, then you're not loving. Because we love love. 
The moment you do that, love becomes a force. It becomes a, an impersonal energy. It becomes a sense of goodwill. It becomes something of a positive attitude or a positive disposition towards other people or wanting other people to have good. And, and, and then it almost eventually becomes, I don't do anything against anybody, then I'm loving. It becomes this abstract thing that you can't really define and can't really describe. And the spirit of our age is this spirit. We just love love. Don't ask anybody to define it. Because the moment you define it, you start saying, this is love, this is not love. And then the world says, no, you can't do that. We just want love. I mean, we've had whole movements. Let's just love one another. Let's just, just be kind, just be gentle, just be, that's love. And it becomes this impersonal thing that becomes very subjective. It's all about how I feel. Am I being loved or not? It's by my feelings. There's no substance. There's no definition to it anymore. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God is love. And then John writes here for us, and he says the following, very important words. He ends that section that I just read. This is how God showed his love among us. He's saying our God that is love took action on his love. And he showed us his love. His love wasn't just a nice feeling towards us, a positive disposition, a, a, a kindness, a sort of, ah, oh, everybody, let's just get along. And, yeah, peace, brother. That's not our God. Our God showed us his love. He clothed his love. He put flesh on his love. He, his love is a real love. It has real expression. You can see it. You can know it. You can define it. And this is how he showed it to us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. This God that really loves, loves to the point that when we had no positive energy towards him, where we were not interested in him at all, where our best idea for life was to say, we're going to figure this out on our own. We're going to do what we want to do. Where we defined love as how we treat one another by how I feel about it. When, when all of that was true and that was our case and we had no desire for God, God said, I will love you. And not only would I sit in heaven and think positively about you and be kind towards you and love you, I will step into your mess and I will come and love you. With real hands, with real feet, I will come and love you. With real eyes, I will look at you and tell you, I love you. And Christ came and lived among us, and everything he did was love. He did nothing that was unloving, because he's part of the Trinity. He can only love. He has no self-referential love. There's nothing that he does that says, I love you because I want something back from you. All he said is, I love you. And he came and he dwelt among us. But we didn't know what to do with him. We didn't know how to handle this love. It threatened us. It threatened the powers to be. It threatened authorities, both religious and political. It threatened people. 
At some point, people said, this is, we don't know how to respond to this, because if we do, it's going to ask so much of us, and we don't want to do that. We, we want love, but we don't want that much love. That's too much. We just want a little bit of love. We just want love that makes me live the life I want to live. That's all I mean, actually, by love. When I say to somebody, love me, all I'm saying is just, just give me enough so that I can be what I want to be and do what I want to do. But this Jesus is different. He comes and he loves us. So at some point, we didn't, because we didn't know what to do with him, we rejected him. Rejected him to the point where we acted upon him in the most unloving and unkind way. A man that was completely innocent, that never harmed anybody, that had no fault. We put the worst death penalty of a criminal upon him. And we said, you do not belong this is not your place. And we rejected him. We said, this is not your home. You have nothing to do with us. And we killed him in a horrible death. And we exacted all of our vengeance and all of our sin and all of our ugliness was sort of rolled up into that moment and we threw it on innocence. And we said, we want nothing to do with you. But in that moment, love flourished. And he took all of that upon himself. And he said, give it to me, throw it all, let there be nothing left. Because only if I can take it away from you, will you have an opportunity to get to know what love really is. You see, because if we love love, then we love what we think we know. But when God is love, he tells us and he teaches us about love that we could never understand on our own. That we cannot even fathom, that we cannot even begin to get a hold of. That's why I need to define my love by God and not by my definitions. Because then it's so much more. So in that moment when Jesus felt all of this pain and all of the hatred, a man hang, hung next to him and a man said to him, I don't des you don't deserve what's happening to you. I deserve this. He recognized his, his guilt. And he said to Jesus, but when you come into your, in, in heaven today in your, in your kingdom, just think of me. And Jesus leant over and said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow! Right in that moment, burdened by so much pain and anguish, he leans over and he says to another, this is for you. This is for you. And he died, went, took away the sting of death, the final judgment on our sin, rose on the third day and said to us, come, this is my kingdom. Come, come to my family. Come and be part of. There's no more obstacle. Nothing keeps you away from my family. Come. My father loves you with a real love. Not a nice feeling. Not a kind thought. This is the level of his love, his action. And throughout Jesus' life and throughout the Gospels, and please go do the Mark, the book of Mark that we do at the Sunday school. It's so amazing to read in that and to see how Jesus tries to tell us how much the Father loves us. One of the stories he told us to try and explain to us how our Father is so extraordinary. Our King is so beyond our wildest thinking. He's way outside of our parameters. He told the story of the prodigal son. He said one day there was a father that had two sons. And one of the sons, the youngest, came to him and said, I don't know how to put this to you, but I really, I think my life will be better without you. If you can just give me what is rightfully mine, half of your money, because I'm going to inherit it one day when you die, but I don't want to wait till you die. 
I would like you, if it was possible, you could die today. That would be great. But if you're not going to die today, just give me what belongs to me, and I want to go and live. That's, in their culture, that was what he was saying to his father. He's saying, I'm better off without you. I want nothing to do with you. I just want your money. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. And because this father is the father that his household is built on love, he doesn't want anybody to be in the household that doesn't want to be there. He said, it's okay, take. He gave him what belongs to him, and the son went off. And the son went off and lived the best life that he could think. He used his money to, to give himself the best that he could think of. The most amazing life, the most fun and pleasure and joy and, and, and just friends and just the greatest life he could think of, he bought for himself. But eventually the money ran out. And when the money runs out, the friends run out. And eventually we see him and he's working, manual labor. And he's working with pigs in a pigsty. And, and he comes to the point where he's so desperate that he starts eating the food that is the food for the pigs. The, and you know what the pigs eat? They eat the stuff nobody else wants to eat. Think about that when you eat bacon next time. <laughs> oh, I love bacon. But you know the scraps, the, 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 the garbage we give to the pigs. There's the son of a father, a loving father, and obviously this story represents God, the king of kings. Here's the son of the king living off the garbage, of the slop of the pigs, which in the scripture actually tells us that he's so far away from what his father intended for him, that he's so far away from what the intention was for his life, that he's only found a place in the slop. And there he is. But one day, the residue of the memory of his house of his father stands up within him. And the seed that is within him, the same seed that was in Moses, when Moses at 40 years old remembered that he's not a child of Egypt, but that he's a child of the, of the Hebrews and the God of the Hebrews. That same seed stood up in this young man and he said, what am I doing? How dare I live like this? Even the servants, the worst off in my father's household doesn't live like this. I don't have to do this. And he said, if I can just get home and tell my dad how sorry I am and ask for his forgiveness and repent before him, if I can just be a servant in his household, I'll be so much better off. He had that aha moment that every one of us need, that there's no better place to live than in the father's house. I, I want to tell you that, yes, Lord. Paul says, I consider everything as, as filthy rags. You can have the best life. You can be the envy of the people around you. You can have the biggest house, drive the nicest car, every second year get a new car, have the best clothing, have the greatest job, have the love of everybody. I want to tell you, if it is not what God intended for you, it's garbage, it's slop compared to what he had intended for you. The son came to that realization and that moment and he turned and he walked home. But this is where the story gets really extraordinary. Because as he's coming home in an LTS life training school, which starts tomorrow, please join. Advert, Neil, did you see my advert? Thank you very much. You'll hear this about the father that stands and he looks down the path and in the gate he sees this, his son. And this father that was so rejected, that was so dishonored, that was so badly treated by his son, jumps out of his skin. He does this. 
Come on, guys. I thought I'd get more from the younger people. Am I not doing it well enough? He jumps out of his skin. He says, my son. And he runs down the pathway. And he grabs this boy. And the boy is still trying to get out. I failed you. I'm so sorry. And the father says, my son has come home. Put on him the ring that says he's my son. I don't want him for one moment to think that he's not my son. He is my son. In fact, when he was living in the slop, he was my son. This is my son. Clothe him. Put on him the, the garments of the place of honor. Feed him. Let's have a party because my son has come home. That's your story and my story. There comes a moment when we turn around and say, I want to come home. Because the Father loves me. I think I know what love is, but I don't have a clue. There's so much more in him. But that son could come home. Now, in this story, Jesus tells, he uses a bit of an analogy about the older brother and, he's, and how the older brother is not happy, feels hard done by. But in a sense, what Jesus is highlighting for us that will later read the story is to recognize the different older brother that we had. We didn't have that older brother. You know what our older brother did? Our older brother said, my father misses his children. I'm going to go and I'm going to pay the price so that when they decide they want to come home, they don't have to pay for it. There will be nothing that will stop them from coming home. They've got a free ticket. They don't even have to do anything. The gate's open. They can run up the road and come home. Nothing will stop them from coming home because I have paid the price. I have made it possible for them to come home. That's our older brother. And that's what Jesus did on the cross when he died for us and he said, you can come home. So when I decide I've had enough of the slop, I've had enough of the food of the pigs, and I turn around and I come home, all I'll see is my father's arms saying, my son, my daughter has come home. Has come home. And then, as John writes here, he has given us of his spirit. The father not only welcomes you home, puts you in your position, but he gives you the spirit, and the spirit will re-educate you and say, this is how you live in this house, so that you don't do that again, that you don't miss the love of God, how good it is. Can I ask the worship team, we, I'm going to finish. We just need some soft music or something. Thank you, guys. Our story is this. We were created to live in the king's mansion, to live in the palace. We were created, and Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life in abundance. But not life as we think it should be. But we submit to what he thinks and how he plans and what he wants. And that's the hard part for us. But I want to tell you today, your best thought for life is nothing compared to his thoughts for you. Give up on your thoughts and ask him for his thoughts. Ask him for his plans. Doesn't Jeremiah say, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you peace, to give you hope for a future. These are the plans of our Father. But sometimes we have to come into his family and give up on our freedom, give up on our determination and, and, and this, this nice thing that we've enjoyed, that I can do what I want. I can spend my life on the best things I, I can think of. And we have to come and yield and say, Lord, give me the life you have intended for me. 
Now that may feel risky, but let me tell you, because this is a God of love, that life will be far better than what you could ever have thought. But that's the work of the Spirit. That's the road of discipleship. So I want to invite you this morning. Come home. Come home to the Father. Can you look down the path as if you're standing at the gate and you're looking down and all you see at the front of the house is a father with a big, big broad grin opening up his arms and saying, come home. Come home. And all you have to do is to say yes. I believe Jesus made it possible. I cannot pay for this. I can just receive it. I'm coming home. Can I ask us all to stand? Lord, I pray for a spirit of adoption in this place today. I pray particularly, Father, for people that have never come home, that have never felt the Father's embrace to say, you are my son, that have never felt the ring put on their fingers and the, and the robe put on their shoulders, that have said, I belong in the, I have found a home. I just want to be part of a family and I have found a home. Lord, I want to pray today for people that need to take that step and receive the love of God. It may feel so hard, but I want to tell you, God loves you. If you want to take that step today, I'm going to ask you to walk right to the front. As if you're walking down that pathway, our pastors, our elders, some of our team will be in the front here. And all they're going to do is when you come, they're going to embrace you and just say, welcome home. If you want to do that today, just come. Just come to the front. If you don't want somebody to hug you, then just stick out your hands and the embrace will be a handshake. That's okay. But we just want to in some way show you that you have a home, you have a family, and not just any family. Your father is the king of kings, and he's made it possible for you to come home. Come home. Come home. If you're already a believer this morning, if you already have come home, can you, I'll ask you right now to pray just for a moment. There's people here, this is a moment in their lives. This is not easy. But can we pray for the spirit of adoption? So right now, if you're where you're standing, if you're not going to come forward now because you already feel that or know that you have come home, just can you pray? Can we pray together? Lord, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for your amazing love. You're an extraordinary father. You're so amazing, Lord. You're so good. You're so real. Your love is so amazing. We don't want any person to not know that you love them, to not live in your love. And I pray this morning, just help people, Lord, to come. Holy Spirit, enable and strengthen people to step into that place in Jesus' name. You can, you can continue to come to the front if you, if you want to, but I'm also going to just pray. For those of you that have responded to the Father. All I want to say to you today, the job's not finished. The Father wants to love you more. You may have the position of sonship and of daughtership, but God wants you to learn how amazing it is to be a son and a daughter. God wants you to feel the joy of, of what it is to be a son, to live kingdom lifestyle, kingdom living up in and out, and that's what we're going to talk about. But today, I believe the Father says, step forward into me. Ask me for more. Position yourself for more that my spirit can take you further. 
If you want to do that today, can we just raise our hands to the Lord and just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We want more. We don't just want to be sons. We want to live as sons. So that others through us may also see what it means to be a son. We want life and life in abundance as you've planned. We want to know what love is, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for each person. Open our hearts in this season. Open our hearts in this time. That we will grow in our love for you. That we will grow in our love for our family. And that we will grow in our love for those that are not yet part of this family. Help us, Lord. And I speak a, a, just a, a grace on your people today in Jesus' name. That the love of God will become more real in this time than ever before. May your love just blow our minds. May we get to know your love even more. That it will set us free. There's no spirit of fear in us anymore, Lord. That you said John wrote. There's no fear in this love. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. I'm going to end the service, but I'm going to ask the team to acquire if you will lead us in a song. But if, I know the time's over, so if you want to go and get your kids and, and enjoy the rest of your day, please do so. And, but I pray that you'll go with that sense of just the Father's great love for you. But we want to just be in His presence for a bit. If you want prayer, come to the front. Let us pray with you. Let us just express in some way the love of the Father to you. Remember, Wednesday night is Seeking Meeting, another great place where we come and we just be in the Father's love. You can be baptized today. Also, after the service in the function hall, if you want to go there. Please remember all the registration tables. But right now, if you want to be prayed for, come, let us pray with you. If there's any need that you have, anything that you're just saying, Father, it's also so great. So many of you have come forward lately and have just said, this is what God's doing in my life and have testified of His goodness. And if you want to do that, that's also great. Please do that. But let's just be in His presence for a little bit and let Him minister to us. In. Amen. Thanks, Mika.